tell you what, man. The talent in this church is just so encouraging and wonderful and hopeful. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. So, how many people miss writing letters? How many people are nostalgic for letter writing and receiving something in the mail or sending Y'all aren't raising your hands. Oh, that's better. My father-in-law is one of those. He likes that old-fashioned handwriting and he sends everything in the mail with the stamp on it. So I want you to think back of the different ways that we have communicated through writing over time. Let's start with, say, fifth, sixth grade, and we used to write these notes, and you'd fold them over into this little triangle and flick them at your friend across the room. Remember that? Or I have in my, in our uh, uh, bonus room, whatever you want to call it, in one of the closets, this beautiful metal uh, canister that inside of it has all of the letters that Steve wrote to me the first summer we were away when I was in Dallas and, uh, and he was in Houston. Don't worry, honey, I'm not going to read them. <laughs> you might have received or sent some letters from camp or when you're away from home. You might start thinking, hello, mother. Hello, father. <laughs> right? Letters, pen pal letters, getting to know someone. And of course, we have the owls and homing pigeons like in Harry Potter. So back in the early church days, when the church was just getting started, everybody was so spread out. And they used letters to communicate and to encourage and to share instruction and wisdom. And we focus on many of those after the book of Acts, the ones that are attributed to the apostle Paul. Hold on to your seats, the first three are the big three, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And then I want you to remember General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Anybody who's been to seminary knows what I'm talking about there. <laughs> then the four T's, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, five T's, and Titus, and then Philemon, Philemon, however you want to pronounce it. And then there are these other letters what we're calling the literal letters, and we're starting a worship series on that today. They're, they're little, I mean, they're not technically little letters, but they're no more than five chapters. Some are just one page in your Bible. Some are letters to an entire community from a community, and some are from one person directly to another person. Now, can you imagine, think back to some letters that you wrote, maybe some of those that are in that metal container that you're treasuring and those make it into one of the most read books of the world someday <clears throat> but in each of these letters we can find hope and wisdom and guidance so today we're going to start with the little letters of john there's bible in front of you and if you want to find these three letters you're basically going to Cut the Bible in half or open it halfway and then open the last half halfway and then do it one more time and then flip back a couple of pages. 
If you're a math whiz, you'll say it's in the last eighth of the Bible, or if you're like me, it's the last five books of the Bible. So we're going to talk about these three letters that in the wonderful creativity of the early church, named them 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And you'd be right to think, well, I, I remember a John. There's a gospel of John. And in fact, that first letter is assumed to have been written by the same person as the gospel, just at a different time, maybe 10 years later. We don't know for sure, but we can make some connections and themes. For example, the language that's the start of 1 John leans into the concept of creation, just like the gospel does, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's from the Gospel of John. Compare that to the start of 1 John, the letter. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen in our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. Do you notice that they say we? That it's a letter from we, a community, and that community is testifying to life in Christ's name. It seems that this letter could have been written as a testament from a community, and that community was the Johannine community. Those who have read and believed and mirrored their lives around the story of Jesus as shared in the Gospel of John. To what are they testifying? When we read First John, they're testifying to these two things, love and light. First John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. So First John sets up this trio of letters, with a new commandment, love one another for God is love. It's something they've heard before and in fact continue to say, you have known this from the beginning. We've been sharing this story. God has been telling us this story for all time. Basically, we're following a theology of love and we center all of our decisions around that measuring stick. Are we acting in love? So let's ask that question, are we acting in love? I get a little overwhelmed when I think about that because if I sit and med meditate on the words, God is love, in quiet and really thinking about it, I'm thinking about the abund abundance of love and embracing the grace and the peaceful feeling that comes from those three words, God is love. And when I really feel it, really feel and know and have confidence that God loves us, the real us, well, I don't know that anything but the word gratitude comes to mind. And a grateful response might be to love others as God loves us. So right now I want to just focus on speaking love. We've, we've uh, listened today about how we share love, how we write love, how we can be hurt by love, and we do it anyway. But speaking love is something that we can control, that we can think about. When we're paying attention with the other person's feelings in our hearts, we speak love. When we're compassionate with our speech, we're speaking love. 
I'm reminded often, and I think about it, how similar Christianity is with several other faiths and spiritual traditions. And in particular, the uh, Buddhist Pali Canon, they share five statements to help us determine whether we're speaking in love. Listen to them now. It is spoken at the right time. It's spoken in truth. It's spoken affectionately. It's spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. Five ways to know whether we are speaking compassionately and in love. Bernard Meltzer was a popular radio host who offered advice to listeners, and he happened to be Jewish. Buddhist, Jewish. His faith pushed him to give this advice on loving speech. Before you speak, ask yourself what you, if, if what you are going to say is true, is kind, is necessary, is helpful. If the answer is no, maybe what you're about to say should be left unsaid. Am I acting in love? Am I speaking in love? It's not impulsive. It's not spreading rumors or gossip or speculation. It's loving. It's intended to benefit something, to move forward, not backward. It's intentional. And the first letter of John shares it much more simply. Love one another, for love is of God. And from there, we move into 2nd and 3rd John. And it's a pretty good guess, if you read through these, that it's not the same author as 1st John letter. What makes me say that is that unlike 1st John, it's written in the standard form of a letter. Salutation, greetings, and it ends with a warm greeting to end the letters. In fact, both letters end the same way. Although I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. I should just say sincerely, don't you think? <laughs> However, the letter's also written by the elder. Could be a pastor, could be a bishop, could be someone, but it's the elder. Someone who's wise and is speaking to a very particular point. The organization of the church at this time was just starting. So maybe these two letters were coming from a newly appointed bishop or someone who held another leadership position in the church. But they're giving advice. And in the second letter, love continues to be the focus. It's reinforced in verses 5 and 6 because there's only one chapter in 2 John. By now, dear lady, meaning the church, I ask you, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Let us love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to God's commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning. You must walk in it. Not just speak in it, but walk in it. And then the letter turns to this bit of a debate, one that's going to carry on for hundreds of years, past the time when this letter is written. See, the author turns from, we've had this commandment from the beginning of time to love one another, to a warning against those who are stating that the human Jesus and the divine Christ are one and the same. Are they or are they not? That was the debate. Don't listen to those who don't believe it. Keep to what you've been taught. And as much as I would really like to agree with that, I think it's dangerous. It's dangerous to just take those words and not see the context in which they were written. 
Let's not just assume that in this letter, it's okay to say us versus them, or we'll end up with some of the divisiveness that we have in the world today. Remember, this is written in the late first century. The church was young, and there are challenges coming from every which way, and many Christians are just trying to hold on in the geographic areas that are a mix of cultures. If this letter, in fact, was written in Ephesus, like scholars believe, then understand that was a major crossroads city, 200 to 250,000 people at that time. Lots of activity. It's what we know as modern Turkey now, and at this crossroads, it's considered that it's a major point, port city where people come from all over the world to trade, from Rome, from Asia, from Africa, and more. So the author of 2 John understands distractions. It's as if he says what we refer to today as squirrel. <laughs> where we have our focus clear, but we're distracted by the next popular thing. Did you hear Twitter was down? <laughs> or turning our ear to the clickbait on social media and then retweeting or repeating it. And to keep from being distracted, I'd, I'd suggest that a loving response that we've known from the beginning requires two things. Stay focused on the people with empathy and vulnerability. Embracing that empathy and vulnerability keeps us focused on building relationships, which is key to acting in love. And yes, vulnerability can lead to hurt. It can lead to times where what you intended is not what the result is. I know you've been there. It can lead to disappointment, but we love anyway. Vulnerability is essential to building trust and to learning to be more loving. I'd propose that in our context today, we're learning more about each other, about experiences, our lives, our challenges, when we sit down and share a meal together. There's two things that are going on in this church that me, you may not know about. First is that uh, Dwayne and Michael Brown Mosley have started a new ministry to integrate, to, uh, to combine and, and bring together those who have been with the church for a while and those new people, sharing a meal at their house, sharing stories, and spending hours with each other, just getting to know each other. That is love. That is showing love. On Wednesday, uh, we had our first meeting of the leadership for the journey towards racial justice. We had eight people over at our house. Everyone say, thank you, Steve, for cooking in 104 degree weather for the smoked barbecue. <laughs> we listened to each other. We shared stories. We learned where we all came from, what brings us to these acts of justice, why we were there, and how we act out justice, how we act, up, how we act out, and how we enact the justice of reconciliation. We shared a meal. Sharing a meal with each other and listening to each other and sharing of our joys and our pains, that is loving. There's a time and place for debates but the overarching call is to love, even in our differences, even when we might get hurt. 
which is basically what the author of 3 John is saying. It's written again from the elder, and it's written specifically to Gaius, but it doesn't speak of love per se. Gaius is commended for providing hospitality to those who come his way, even strangers. But, writes the elder, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not welcome us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing and spreading false charges against us. And not content with those charges, he refuses to welcome the siblings and even prevents those who want to do so and expels them from the church. This guy, uh, Diotrephes, sounds like a mean, vindictive dude. He's spreading rumors, he refuses hospitality to others, and even worse, he kicks people out who do offer hospitality to others if they don't measure up to his standard of what a Christian should be. Definitely not in it for the loving relationship and probably not embracing that vulnerability I just talked about. So what does this elder suggest Gaius and maybe us to do about this? He says to surround yourself with mentors, in particular Demetrius, who has demonstrated the kind of hospitality that I say is a reflection of loving each other. Demetrius, it seems, was someone following Jesus' call to love and to show what that love leads to. He understands that hospitality is a foundation of love. And we can do the same. Build up the community and share that love with each other. Today, we do see that kind of hospitality. I mentioned a couple of them earlier. Yes, at the table, over a meal, but in that gathering together, whether it's in classrooms or on the softball fields, we're acting in love. When we ask questions, when we're curious, when we listen not to respond but to understand. Am I acting in love? Well, I say we're acting in love when we gather poolside to say happy birthday to the legacy of Luke Childs. With over 200 people, Luke's life is celebrated every time a family receives financial relief to pay for the mounting expenses related to long-term medical care for their child. I say we're acting in love when we read and discuss books like Poverty by America and accept the challenge to finally do something about the overabundance but completely solvable problem of poverty in America. We're acting in love when we see someone walk in the doors of this building, scared but hopeful that this time, this time it'll be different. This time our siblings really will be loved for everything they are and everything they will be, just as God intended. And we're acting in love when we get outside these walls and remember that love is shared not just on Sunday, but every hour of the week. Love compels us to find those cool places for those living in the streets in this oppressive, oppressive heat. And then not complain if those places disrupt our lifestyle or make us uncomfortable. Love compels us to try just one more time to understand from someone else's point of view instead of our own. 
third, John tells us to be like Demetrius, who models the love that Jesus taught. These may be little letters, but the message is powerful. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. May we strive to remember. May we strive to love. Amen.